Well, we are now into part two, two of two, uh, with Reed Johnson, the uh, the head coach of Pelham. And our first our first part, we we talked a lot about his experience getting into the sport of rowing. And now we're in the meat of it. Now we're in understanding his experience at Princeton, which is one of the most successful rowing programs at the collegiate level, an Ivy League school, an Eastern Sprints school, Eastern. Eastern Sprints League School uh, and his time at Pelham. So Reed, day two of two with us, man. This is great. Um, I want to know. I want to know when. Now we already know that your day one was handling the the the, the launches and the the buoy markers at, at Princeton. Walk me through your coaching experience at Princeton. Um, you know, who are you focused on? Mm-hmm. And uh, and really like that experience with Greg as your as your leader at the at, this, at the program. Sure, so um, there's a definitely multifaceted uh, approach to this, as you can imagine, um, you know, being the um, intern assistant, you're sort of, um, the expectations are, are pretty wide open. Um, so right off the top, um, when I first got to Princeton, uh, like we talked about yesterday, I started uh, working uh, with the other assistant coaches and Steve Huber, the boatman, yep. uh, and getting the boathouse ready uh, for the upcoming fall season. That was coursework, getting the launches ready, uh, making sure the docks were all secured, um, you know, rigging up boats with uh, with other with the other heavyweight assistant coaches, um, rigging up the oars, and, and you know, all this is is very much to Greg Hughes' specifications. So um, we took our lead from him there, and then. Um, as the student athletes started coming back to campus, um, getting to know them, sitting down with them, just talking it through. Um, when I first started, I was the ripe old age of 24, so not too much, not yeah. too much older than those kids or those guys. Yeah, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty surreal experience, especially starting off because the the team had come off a very successful 2015. Um, where the varsity had medaled at both uh, sprints and IRAs, and then was that the year that they had uh, they raced Harvard, and there's this video on YouTube of the race. Yes. And it was like bow ball to bow ball the entire way. It was like one of the most exciting races. Um, I've seen. Was it that year? I don't. I don't know, Alex. I think that might be 2011. Because so yeah, I mean, not to you know try to keep this pointed, but Princeton and Greg have have done a, a, a tremendous amount, and I can get into this more. Uh, with with social media and so they were sort of at the forefront of that game on YouTube um, so uh, they actually uh, were the broadcast uh, folks like they used their setup for Eastern Sprints actually in I believe 2011 okay wow yeah so the 2015 season for the Tiger heavyweights uh, was pretty remarkable again that varsity eight medals at uh, sprints and IRAs the, uh, the JV8 yeah. won sprints and also medal at the IRA. So Greg and uh, Matt Smith, um, that was his first year with the, with the crew, um, took, the, took the boys to Henley that summer. They took three eights. And so there was this like incredible energy sort of pulsating throughout the program um, at the time. And so, uh, you know, there I was at the ripe old age of 24, just kind of like trying to be a fly on the wall. But also, you know, I think the big thing from Greg kind of getting into that was like, you know, you know, he'd be like, Reed, you know, make it your own thing, like get involved on the level that you want to be involved with, right? So um, the way that that looked early on um, was a lot of small boat coaching um, with the varsity athletes, guys like 
Martin Baraxo, Tom George, Nick Mead, Pat Ebel, you know, these are all guys that have now gone on to represent their countries um, internationally and, and done incredibly well. So um, kind of getting into the mix right away there and then also working um, on a program for the novice walk-ons that, you know, a lot of, a lot of our sport has sort of gone away from that at the collegiate level, but there is, there is still an element of that. So uh, the other intern assistants and I would go up um, to campus uh, with the boathouse being set uh, on the back end of campus, sort of at the bottom of the hill. We'd walk up the hill to go to um, these like student fairs during freshman orientation and, yeah. and just talk to, you know, talk to kids and just kind of uh, see, see what's what um, and all that. So um, running that novice walk-on program that fall. And then uh, the other big thing that, and this is where, this is where things were really interesting for me was, I ended up spending an incredible amount of my time um, during practice in Greg's launch. Um, and well, that, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's sort of maybe the reason why you're at Pelham and sort of why, why you're, you're able to run a program. Like you're spending so much time. Right. And what people don't understand is they, people outside of rugby don't know who Greg is, right? They don't know how good of a coach he is. That's right. It would be as if, you're sitting next to Luke Walton at UCLA every single day, right? Watching him train his athletes. Like if you did that for two years, you'd be the program, you'd be the head coach of some basketball place somewhere else, right? Yeah, I mean, like the sky's sort of the limit with that sort of thing. But I think, I think the, the bigger point here, and, I, and again, I'll get more into this, the launch stuff with Greg in a second. But, and we sort of talked about this yesterday with sort of, you guys were asking me like how I got the job at Princeton and like the persistence and just like, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease sort of thinking, right? Um, a lot of young coaches, and I've seen this time and again, where they think that they know, right? And, and that's fine. It, it really is okay. Like we all have an inherent understanding of the stroke. If you've, if you've taken strokes at a decent level in high school or college, right? Like you, again, you can understand the basics of like leverage and sort of where the blade needs to go in. But to be quite honest, and, and I was guilty of this at the time too, thinking like I wasn't a know-it-all, but I certainly had a bit of an ego where it was like, yeah, like I coached this group at Sagatuck the year before, you know, they, they were kicking ass and, and taking names, so to speak. And um, it wasn't like a, it, it wasn't like I needed to be served a, a cold case of humble pie, but I certainly needed to understand that I inherently had no idea how to coach rowing. And so uh, being, yeah, you know why? You know why? Because <laughs> you barely wrote. I mean, right. like, right. yeah, you did Penn AC and you did Salisbury. You did all these, like, like right. you, you, yeah, you're a great athlete, but you never actually spent time coaching, like high right. volumes. Right. And so that was, that was a tough, that was a tough transition for me because I went from like having my own launch and coaching up a group of novice athletes at Saugatuck to, to sitting in Greg's launch. And so I think being a young coach, like that's super important to realize is just like with our athletes and how, how demanding we can be with their technical approach and the sort of like the walk or the crawl before you can walk, the walk before you can run, so to speak. It's the same thing with coaching. And so um, that was a real blessing in disguise. And, and I'm really glad that I, that I was able to see it that way um, and really take advantage of it. So, um, so yeah, like that, 
So learning through osmosis and just being Greg's muse in a lot of ways was, was really incredible. Like he, he really would bounce ideas off of me and I'd, and I'd sort of be, sit there and be like, um, uh, yeah, that, that looks great. You know what I mean? Just yeah. trying to be supportive of the boss and, and um, you know, cause he's got so much experience both uh, domestically and internationally with rowing as we know. Um, and, and so that was just a lot of learning practice management, how to deal with, uh, different situations that can come up, whether they're in practice or on land, you know, meetings before and after, um, you know, sure. A lot of it was like learning the finer art of the stroke, but, but really what I sort of started to figure out was Greg and these other Eastern sprints, IRA coaches as well, um, that, that are well known in our sport. They have a real, a, a real command presence. And when they walk in the room, it's, it, it's not like guys stand at attention, right? But there's certainly this element of, you know, this is their team and it's their direction. And it's up to us as assistant coaches and the athletes to sort of figure out, okay, you know, where can I best support this vision? Um, and, and how can I, you know, make the, the greater enterprise, uh, you know, succeed. So a lot of my launch stuff with Greg was uh, this, this heart rate program called First Beat. Mm-hmm. And Greg, uh, being the guy that he is, is, is very innovative. And um, he really likes the peach system, right? Measuring the force um, yep. on the gate and the force curves and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then the thing that he introduced to the program that fall, again, was called this, this program called First Beat. Um, that was one of my f- very first experiences with the team and Greg as well. He handed me a brand new computer and a software program and said, ready, go. And so it was up to me to kind of figure out how to um, – put the protocols into place using their software. I actually ended up getting to know their rep really well. Uh, this guy by the name of John, um, because like, you know, and that's the other thing about Greg, like he's, he's a busy guy and it, and this is something that a lot of coaches also need to understand. You have to be incredibly self-resilient and reliant. Right. Um, and so I had so many questions that I was sort of afraid to ask, but what I realized was when I would ask for help, and I would just not be afraid of Greg judging me for asking those questions or the other assistant coaches or this guy, John, who was the rep for first beat. Uh, I, I made, I made inroads really quickly in that sense. Like it was a really good moment for me to be like, I don't know everything and I need to learn so much. So, uh, let the me, let me, there's, yeah. there's two things that you said that I, I really want to dive into a little bit. And yeah. again, don't, don't, don't think that I'm not listening if I interrupt you. Uh, but you're just, you're, you're touching on things that I think coaches need to hear. Um, you said, first of all, you said they, they, they command the presence and which I've experienced that they do. Um, but you said, where can I support their vision? Do you think it's essential that the assistant coaches believe in that vision? And do you think in order for it to work, or do you think that there are, a lot of assistant coaches that go in just really just don't trust that vision of the, of the leader. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's definitely, a, there's, there's obviously like the way you're posing it, there's two sides to it, right? Um, you know, a, as people, as athletes, we inherently believe that what we've done has, uh, has a lot of value, right? Um, especially if we've gotten to a high level of our, of our chosen sport or profession and, and that's all fair and good. Um, so, but I, I think, especially as an assistant coach, you really have to check your ego like constantly and just understand that 
a guy like a Greg Hughes or a Steve Gladstone or Chris Kerber or Mike Tatey, right? Some of these big names in our sport, like, you know, using men as an example, like Lori Daphne, another great example, uh, you know, Princeton women's coach for so many years, so much success. These people have dedicated their lives to this, right? And they have been doing this in most cases, 30 plus years. I'm 29, you know, mm -hmm. like, and so I think that's really important to remember. And, and age isn't always a factor. Um, and it's not just a sheer number of years that you've been coaching, but they, they're at that level for a reason. So there's always a balance between, um, you know, making it your own thing and, 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 and trying to really learn through your own process and also really kind of, again, supporting their vision. So I think the best assistant coaches do a lot of both. They have their own ideas. They're not afraid to, you know, speak up, um, not, not in a combative way, not, not in a destructive way. Um, and that's something that I really learned from Greg too. Uh, he had three assistant coaches on staff uh, with myself included, Matt Smith, Phil Brunner um, as well. And the four of us would, were meeting constantly about uh, different nuances that we would see. And, and Greg would very much ask the opinions uh, of us assistant coaches. And so, um, yeah, it, it, that's, it's, that's very, yeah, that's very it's really important that you have that dialogue. Yeah, that's encouraging. Um, yeah. I was, when I, when I went out with uh, Gladstone um, back in January, I've known Mike Gennaro for quite a long time. He's you know St. Joe's guy and yeah. in my area. Uh, he's also extremely successful at the world level of rowing. I remember watching, observing them. I took a step back. I watched them. Because, mm -hmm. you know, any, anyone, any, any athlete around those two people, I think would, would have conflicting feelings. Because you got one guy who's won at the world level. He's, you know, he's trained at the highest possible level. And, you know, you have the other guy who's like arguably the best IRA coach of all time. Sure. And what was awesome was I think Gladstone recognized that and let Gennaro do his own thing and said, you follow the framework of what we're trying to do. You do the workouts that we're trying to do. You, you know, stay within this, this boundary. I don't care what you do. Just stay here. And right. that's, I think, I think that right there shows the strength of a coach and mm -hmm. I think that a lot of those coaches that have been doing it for 30 or 40 years learned that over a period of time because most coaches that we're talking to, talking about at the highest level have that exact mentality and they've learned that over a period of time right because eventually these assistant coaches like you read eventually you might be the program head coach of Princeton sure. you might be the what and they know that right I think these coaches at our level in our sport, but even at college or hockey or baseball, they hire assistants that they know they're going to do this for the rest of their lives. They yep. see it in them. They hear it. They look at it. They know it. And then they do that. So my other question that I want to know, and this is really just for potential athletes that want to row for Greg. Yeah. How much, how much volume was Greg doing for workouts? Were you guys doing like, 20k 30k a day or was it slightly different uh, at Princeton uh that's a great question Alex because you know I, I'm not giving away the secret sauce here by any means uh but you want it so bad I know I know <laughs> you know at, at, at the height of at the height of our our reign because we did my two years were, were incredibly successful the program was incredibly successful um at a, at a very much a national and regional level um you know we had 10 guys at, at one point under six minutes and um and so when you're able to put together boats that sort of have that juice, um, everyone sort of wants to know, okay, what's the training plan? And I get this. They didn't question. win the IRA. They didn't win the IRA. 
Nope, nope, but that's the level of the IRA. I mean, these, look, these IRA boats are legitimately under 23 senior level all-star boats, and they yeah. just happen to be uh, in this country uh, competing collegiately for, uh, for our program. In the 1930s yeah. and the 1950s, we were sending college boats to the, to the Olympics and the World Championships. Right. We basically recreated that in 2020, right? Like, these right. college boats could theoretically represent the U.S. and medal at some of the highest races in the world. Theoretically. I mean, if you look at the 2018 World Cup three in Lucerne, Mike Callahan took that, that under 23-8 that ended up winning Worlds. They, they put up an incredible first 1,500. They kind of bonked in the last five, uh, which made sense because uh, clearly he was peaking them for, for the under 23s about a month later. You know, but those guys, again, pure American crew going yeah. toe-to-toe with the Aussies, the Germans, the, and the Dutch, right? So the, like the, four of those guys were UW guys, right? I think it was yeah. like four or five of them were like yeah, all it, UW. It's ridiculous. I mean, so, so that, again, that speaks to the level of collegiate rowing at, the po- at this point, in, you know, especially on the men's heavyweight side. But the training itself at Princeton, Matt Smith and I did the math one time because we get this question all the time from recruits was like, what, you know, what do you guys do? Like, what's the volume? Are you crushing these guys? And no. Um, our, Greg's training plan at the height of it was, and again, this was Matt, that, uh, Matt Smith and I did together at one point was about 90 to hundred K a week on an erg machine. Um, which you, uh, if you break that down, that's roughly averaging six workouts as a team, right? That's roughly averaging about, you know, 16, 17 K on a machine, which at that level really doesn't seem like a whole lot. So the, intent- what about though, what about on the water? So on the water training? Yeah, I'd say it was about the same, um, Alex, because, you know, obviously you have to uh, keep in mind that these are student athletes and there's a lot of demands on them um, in many different ways, both academically and socially. Um, Princeton itself is a very social campus with the eating club set up. And so um, those are sort of like, I, I don't want to make light of them, but they're in my eyes, they're kind of glorified fraternities and sororities that call themselves eating clubs. Um, yeah. They're awesome. They're very much a part of the fabric of the university. Um, but you know, mix, mix the academic and social obligations of these, of these kids. And, um, you've got to be very precise and, and pretty accurate with their, with their time demands. So the, what that ends up looking like, especially at Princeton under Greg's training plan is a lot of intensity. And, Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me just, let me like consolidate this down really quick. Yeah. So, you know, as, as college athletes, you're restricted for NCAA rules, college rules, you can't do a whole lot. Right. But you're, you're averaging 16K a day. How much do you think these guys were doing on their own training? So sure. doing an extra 10K a day or 5K, or how often do you think they sat in the weight room, uh, you know, to, to prepare themselves? Um, I had a good view of that. Obviously, uh, like I mentioned yesterday, I lived in the boathouse. I would yes. say that um, on any given day, especially like the sort of higher end guys, like sort of in the top eight, 12, 16 of the team. Yeah. Like they'd come in and they'd get, you know, they'd do some RP3 work or they might ask an assistant coach to check them out in the tank room um, or, or, you know, get some extra reps in, in the weight room, you know, but that, that I wouldn't say that 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 was done with an, an an incredible amount of consistency. And that's not to knock those guys. It's just, again, like it just, you have to remember that their demands are so incredible um, up on campus. So um, yeah, I I can't put a number on that for you guys. Like I think that every athlete was sort of on his own journey and that's something else that that Greg was really good about. He wasn't overbearing with that stuff. Um, 
but because of the intensity that we were doing and this is, and I know this so well because of the, the heart rate training program that I was running for the team, um, these guys were getting an incredible amount of, of rowing specific training in the short amount of time that we had them every day. So um, one, of the, one of the arguments that we talked about on Coaches Yelling, which again, you'll be doing with us, is, yeah. um, and you're gonna lose because you talk a lot and you have one minute to, uh, to state your case. So I'm excited to have you on. It's gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just messing with you, man, because All good. I, I, gave I, love you, it. I, I gave love you it. a lot of compliments yesterday. Um, it, it's, it's the argument of is four by 20 yeah. ruining the sport? Is it, is it hurting our futures of burning us out? And clearly what, what you're saying is, and, and this goes, this range true with Gladstone and a lot of others, lower volume, higher intensity, more focus, and you will get, be just as successful as not more right. than anyone just doing four by 20 three days a week. Right. Um, and that's also with, with, with high school athletes and with, Masters athletes. I mean, as long as you focus on that intensity, because look, in today's world, you know this, there's distractions everywhere. If you come into a practice and you're distracted, you can do four by 20 or you can do three by 10 and get the same, same, um, uh, same quality of workout, right? Sure. If you're focused doing the three by 10 versus the four by 20. So, all right. So just again, because of time, I want to, I want to move into Get me to your last month or two at Princeton and how you okay. got to Pelham because that's a big jump, right? Like yes. It's a big difference because it's a pivot for you. You're like, all right, well, I'm not going to run a college program. I'd like to go high school. So tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, so, um, so that summer of, of 2017 after I wrapped up my second year with Greg, I mean, you know, those, those intern type positions do have a shelf life for sure. He and I did talk about, you know, potentially coming back for a third and final year. Um, in a more elevated role, um, still as the kind of quote unquote intern, still living in the boathouse apartment, but just, you know, kind of giving me more to do in, in, in that sense. But Reed, I'm sorry to ask this. I forgot to ask this. Did you get a degree at Princeton while you were doing this? No, I didn't. And that's a big question I do get. No, that was not part of the deal. Okay. All right. Um, though, yeah, those graduate programs are very small and, and incredibly academic. Um, in any case, um, I, I, you know, just like every other intern volunteer uh, collegiate coach in the country I was applying out and sort of seeing what would stick um, I, I got very close on a few um, that uh, you know did not go did not go my way and that was totally fine I mean obviously those hurt when you don't get them but again you just sort of realize okay I'm learning a lot and I'm sort of figuring out what these uh, you know for lack of a better term these CEOs of these programs like and don't like so um, I was applying out talking with Greg, talking with Matt Smith, talking with other coaches in the boathouse, just like seeing where I could land. And uh, the end of July, 2017 was rolling around and um, Henrik Rummel had just uh, started pivoting away from his, uh, you know, training center stuff uh, with the U.S. men's team. Henrik being who he is, we all know who he is most likely. If you haven't lived under a rock, these past 10 years, um, he's been the top U.S. or he was the top U.S. rower, yeah. um, as, as you know, as on starboard side for many years, you know, London Olympic, you know, bronze medalist in the men's straight four under Tim McLaren. Anyway, he and I didn't really know each other per se, but because he was training there and because I was friends with a lot of his friends that were on the team as well, um, he started, he sort of started feeling around for coaches 
because he had taken the director's position at Pelham Community Rowing that summer. Um, and his, his whole idea there was to sink his teeth into, you know, teaching, uh, you know, these, these youth kids at Pelham sort of a different way of, of being an athlete and being a student athlete and whatnot. So, you know, he was looking for qualified people that, uh, you know, full time with health benefits, that whole thing, right? Like a real job um, to, to run the boys program. And so I'd been applying out, you know, some, some things were looking promising, but then, you know, at the last second, it was like, they went with the other guy, all good. So, uh, through some contacts on the national team, they approached me and they were like, Hey dude, like, would you be interested in working with Henrik Rummel, um, up at this place called, uh, called Pelham. And I was like, no, why would I want to do that? You know, that, that's high school rowing. Like I, I left that and what ended up doing it for me was a mixture of Henrik Rummel being who he is, right. To be fair. Um, and that in his presence and also a board member of the club and I have a longstanding relationship, uh, dating back to about 2013, 2014. So I said no two or three times. And then finally I was just like, you know what, this is close to home for me. Pelham is 30 minutes from where I grew up in Darien. I can sort of reconnect with my family in that way. Uh, I love the area, obviously being from here. And I get to work with Henrik and get to build my own program. And he was adamant that he would let me build my own program. And he stood by that. And I have, and I owe him a lot of thanks for that because again, like here I was a a 26, 27 year old guy uh, who knew something about rowing at this point because of my years uh, with Princeton and Greg, but, but still very kind of green. And obviously um, my resume looked like potatoes compared to Henrik's. Um, so, uh, that's sort of how I transitioned out because I, I, again, like he was adamant that I could run my own program and and we could really do this together. So, uh, I accepted the job and a week later, a week later in August, 2017 preseason started. And you've been there now. This is this, I mean, this is two years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so August, August, 2017. So August of this year will be three full years with me, um, and the club and, you know, to, to, to be as honest as possible, uh, it, it didn't really look like rowing when I first got there. Um, it was very much on a recreational, um, social club level. And that's totally cool, right? Like different strokes for different folks, so to speak. But, um, between the board members of Pelham community rowing and sort of what the area demands with row America Rye being right up the road, Saugatuck and Greenwich being right up the road. Um, you know, the club needed to kind of pivot a little bit and they, and this is not to knock anything that the coaches previously were doing or not doing. It's just to say that there needed to be a different model in order to, you know, be relevant and be sustainable in this climate of, of high performing athletics in Westchester and Fairfield County. So, uh, there I was, um, I'll never forget this. And I tell the kids this all the time and they'll, they'll never forget this either. I, t- I was talking to a group of about 35 of them one day at preseason. I go, guys, how many of you have ever broken seven minutes for 2,000 meters on an earth? And two of them raised their hands. Two. I had two. And, <laughs> it's not even 10%. I mean, <laughs> I mean and, and seven minutes, seven minutes is, is absolutely nothing at the high school level for boys anymore. It just oh, no. it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. So I had two. Um, and 
uh, we've got, we've now gotten up to 17 or 18 under seven. Um, and with, you know, with another, uh, eight of those guys under 640 and three or four under 630. So, you know, we, we've really made a, a humongous shift and, and really the credit goes to the board being very supportive in that, in that idea of, of changing the framework of the club, you know, and the parents and the kids supporting the vision as well. So, um, you know, we've gone from a pretty recreational outfit, uh, well supported because again, um, you know, the way that, the way that this club started was it's kind of an offshoot of the New York athletic club because it's right across the river on Travers Island. And, you know, these are men and women on our board that really wanted to support a youth rowing program for Westchester County. So, um, they've again they've been nothing but supportive these kids are taking everything on that i have to give them they're seeing the benefits of it you know uh this fall i'll have kids rowing at washington wisconsin mit tufts wow. um university of california san diego so we we've made a lot of changes in a short amount of time let me um, ask you this you, yeah. you you've now you've done you've successfully been able to be at every level of rowing and coached it and been a yeah. part of it. So you've done boarding school rowing, you've done summer rowing, you've done high school novice, high school varsity, college. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Do you want to go to the collegiate level again? Do you love the high school level? Like what, what, what have you now thought of at 29 years old? You know, if you could fast forward the button a little bit, where would you want to be? Um, Ideally, Alex, I'd love to run uh, Princeton. I mean, that, that, that's certainly, I think there's no secret about that, given my family's history there and, and sort of my love for that place. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, guys like Greg have a super long shelf life, and I fully respect that and understand that. And, um, and, and those guys are doing a great job in, the, in their positions. Um, so just, just to, be, to be honest about that, yeah, it, I think that would be – a very ideal scenario for me, but, and again, I get this, I, I get asked this question a lot and, and I see it more as sort of where am I in, in my trajectory and, and, and am I able to be my best self and give to that club or that college or, or, or whatnot um, at that time. And if I feel like I'm doing that, then, then I'll be there and I'll be there for the, for the long term. I'm not looking to hop around, you know what I mean? And because I think when I first took this job at Pelham, everyone was sort of like, not well, I did get a few of those like, dude, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't make sense. Um, but I think the biggest thing is it's like, look at what we've been able to build in such a short amount of time. Yeah. You know, it just, it just takes a little bit of a mindset switch and you really do have to bet on yourself. And that's the most important thing is like, look, you, you can bounce around from these volunteer intern jobs all you want, but until you're behind the, the wheel and the launch yourself and driving the ship, like you don't really know what you're made of. And so, like I want to take Pelham community rowing as far as, as I and, and we can take it. And right now, uh, obviously given the COVID-19 situation, we're not able to do that. What I can tell you is this, um, we would have had an incredibly competitive boys four come out of Pelham this spring. Incre like, like this, this is not, this is just sheer numbers based. It, the, the data is there to back it up. This Cox four would have been incredible. Um, and so, uh, I think there's some unfinished business there and I've got a lot of kids coming back that are really hungry. Um, and so again, I feel like if I can be the best version of myself and the club supports that vision, I'm going to be there and I'm going to work my butt off 
to make that place better. And so I think that focusing on that day to day and that process will get me to where I want to go and get the people that I'm working with, you know, where they want to go as well. So there's nothing more um, exciting. There's nothing more uh, energizing than meeting someone who states very clearly they're doing what they love and they're doing what they're meant to be doing. Right. I think, and forgive me for tying myself in here. I, I knew when I took over resolute and when we built rowers choice, I knew I was doing exactly what I was meant to do for the rest of my life. And it creates a positive energy around you and people gravitate towards that. You're the same way. You found something that you want to do. You're not egotistical about it. You're not, um, you know, you're not, you're not loud about it, but you know where you want to go. And that's encouraging. And that gets people bought in the Reed Johnson story, right? And gets bought into, into your future. You know, there's this thing, and I'm going to close with this. I'm looking, I'm just like, there's luck, there's will, there's guts, right? All these things come into play. You've been very fortunate to just be around a lot of successful rowing in your career so far, Right. You're a guy that came in at, a, at the right time at Salisbury. You're the guy that, you know, at the time Penn AC in, in 2008, 2009, when there were national IRA champions around you and seeing what rowing could be doing. And then uh, this is sheer luck because you have nothing to do with this. Your grandfather won an Eastern Sprints medal at Princeton and was a, had a big impact on Princeton. And now you're around Henrik Rummel and people that have decided they want to take a fun club to be competitive. Yep. You're very fortunate, you're very lucky to have all that stuff. And you're also very driven. So that combination uh, will undoubtedly make you successful in your career. I'm very excited to be a part of it now. I'm very excited to watch this happen because like what's gonna, what, we'll, what I experience, what I think is gonna happen, when you and I, I'm 34, you're 29, when, when we're both 50, 55, yep. and we're at US Rowing Convention, laughing our asses off as you're the head coach of Princeton and we're we're having a beer and uh, you know we we built the biggest rowing company in the world I mean like that that's that's gonna be a fun thing and I'm excited to be part of your story I appreciate that uh, yeah and I really hope that coaches that listen to this and watch this can soak some of this stuff in that Mm -hmm. they you know you you have a lot of experience and, and and I hope that they take your story and compare it to theirs and hopefully learn from you and I, and I and I'm excited for that so uh Reed Johnson thanks for being here for part two of two thank you guys thank for having you. me I really appreciate this opportunity and I also just want to take a moment to say um Alex is uh, what you said as well like if there are any young coaches out there listening to this um I was obviously not in your shoes very long ago at all and it can feel really daunting and scary and confusing um certainly feel free to reach out um you know via instagram or, or email whatnot pcrarowing.com you can find me there you know reach out i'm, I'm all ears i want to help that's a that's a huge thing it just gave me chills because i had written down as one of my ideas we need to have a coaches mentor platform we need to have a place badly where young coaches badly can go to a platform and say oh, i'd love to talk to to reed johnson yes and have a little profile on him and a little button like email that I think is uh, something that we could put together here. Great, um, be awesome. Reed Johnson, thank you very much. Um, and this is another Rower's Choice Zoomcast podcast interview. I hope you've uh, enjoyed listening and watching. Thanks. Uh-
This is the Rower's Choice Podcast. Rower's Choice is made up of finish line shell repair, Resolute Racing Shells, and Sykes USA.